Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God. The Psalms teach us what it means to worship what it means to praise, what it means to pray, how to worship, how to praise, how to pray, especially when you're in the valley, especially when you're isolated, secluded, afraid, and alone. And David, he's most likely reflecting back on his relationship with the Lord. And he begins this psalm with, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a very intimate acknowledgement of who God is in his life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Hebrew poetry, I'm going to give you a little lesson. Hebrew poetry consists of a line and then a second line that supports the preceding line through different forms of parallelism, through different forms of progression. And this is King David writing this psalm. He lived in caves. He fought in civil wars. He he hid from his enemies. He's been away from home and away from his throne at various times in his life. His life was never easy ever since he was anointed king. But he says in verse 2, God makes me, God lets me lie down in green pastures. When you're in the valley, when you're isolated, when you feel lost or empty, when you're broken or hurt or grieving or anxious or in fear, where do you turn for comfort? Where do you go to for rest? So there's three things we're going to look at today. One, which is going to, it's right in the verse. He makes me, he lets me lie down. That's why we need rest. He makes me lie down. What is rest? And lastly, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Where does he take us? Where do we go for rest? He makes me lie down in green pastures. First, why do we need rest? In verse one, David refers to God as a shepherd. That's deeply personal. He doesn't say, the Lord is my king. He makes me make good decisions. The Lord is my king. He makes me rule well. He goes deeper than that. He says, I am the Lord's sheep. So rather than exalting himself, he says, I am helpless. I am stupid. I am foolish. I'm always wandering and always resisting the Lord when he tries to bring me back. The Lord still takes care of me and gives me rest. What he's implying is, left to myself, I'm always tired. Left to myself, I'm exhausted. Left to myself, I'm constantly working. Life is difficult. Life is a strain. And there's nothing in the world that can give me the rest that I'm looking for, the rest that I need. In other words, there's something that we need that's more important than power. That's more important than wealth. That's more important than our success or even our relationships. The psalmist is talking about a deep rest of the soul because we're always tired. And more than ever, 
more than ever today. David is saying, you know, the Lord is my shepherd because he takes me to Disneyland. Vacations don't give the rest that the soul needs. This is a psalm. David is singing because his soul is at rest. His soul is at peace. The world is constantly pushing us to work. The world is constantly pushing us to survive. You've got to work to survive, work to get ahead, work to build. Well, that's how you grow. That's what it means to mature. That's what the world says. And think about this. This is Philadelphia. It's one of the largest, most productive cities in the country, and we're miserable. We're absolutely miserable because we're not getting enough rest. And so rest is one of the most crucial needs in our lives, and yet it takes a tremendous amount of discipline Because we're constantly overworked as a society. And it's even worse. It's even worse in our context today. Why? I'm going to give you a few reasons why. One, it's because our economy is always in flux. Our jobs are insecure. You know, at the time when COVID-19 first hit the U.S., the unemployment rate at that time in February was about 3.5%. And just two months later, it hit an all-time high in the history of this nation. Our jobs are insecure constantly in flux, so we need to be productive. Two, the work-life balance as a result of our situation right now is eroding rapidly. Technology is a blessing. It enables us to do this, what we're doing right now. But technology also enables us to be plugged in all the time. And so we have web-enabled emails, mobile-first lifestyles with video conferencing. And so we're taking calls from our car and every room in the house, and we're responding to emails in bed. And some of us are doing this while we're making lunch, nursing our child, and making sure that every kid in our household is participating in school online. It's exhausting. We're exhausted. Third, the cost of living especially the cost of meat these days, it's increased. And yet the people at the top are averaging 100 or 200 times more. They're earning that much more than the people at the bottom. Fourth, we have the gig economy. In the gig economy, it enables a lot more opportunities, new opportunities for jobs. We have Uber and Uber Eats and Teladoc. They're new jobs, but really they're new opportunities for people to work multiple jobs. Five, jobs today are more dynamic. So you have Robert Reich, who is a former labor secretary under President Clinton uh, during his first administration, and he writes this book called The Future of Success. And in that book, he says, before, we stayed at one company our entire career. But today, the average span of a person's stint in a company could be sometimes less than a year because we're constantly jumping to the next offer or the next position. Next, culture. This is huge. Traditional societies found significance and worth through their families. Today, you find your significance and your work and your and your worth through your work, through your career, through your profession. Fifty years ago, when you met somebody that you were interested in, you asked, "Which family? Who's your father? Who's your mother? Which family are you from?" But today, you ask, "What? What do you do?" And lastly, our hearts. Work was in the world before sin ever entered the world. And that means that even in paradise, we worked. We had jobs. God called Adam to rule over the earth, subdue the earth. And what did Adam do? You see him naming the animals. 
You see him ruling. That's what he's doing. But because of sin, work became broken. So this thing that existed before sin ever existed became broken by sin. And now we're using work. We're looking to our work to provide us a sense of worth that we lost once we chose to disregard the worth that we had in our relationship with God. And so everything's been thrown off. Our world and our rest and our work lifestyles, it's been thrown off. And as a result, we're overworking like crazy. We're desperate to work, and we're desperately exhausted. One of my favorite movies is, uh, was, uh, it came out in, what, 1984. We had a movie called Chariots of Fire. And the movie Chariots of Fire is about a man named Eric Liddell. It's a true story. Eric Liddell is a Scottish Olympian, but he happens to be a Christian. Uh, he was a gold medalist. Happens to be a Christian. Later on became a missionary and was martyred in China, I believe. Now, in this movie, he's walking with his sister. And as he's walking with his sister, who's trying to convince him out of his passion for running, his sister asks him, why do you run? And Eric Liddell responds, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. But Liddell is juxtaposed by a man named Harold Abrams. He's an Englishman, a Jewish Englishman, and he's obsessed in beating Eric Liddell. He's desperate to beat this man. He wants to prove to himself that he could beat this man because that's his way of getting over the anti-Semitism that existed during that time in the 1920s. And so Eric, uh, so you have Harold Abrams. He turns to his friend and he says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? But will I? We are working and slaving and beating ourselves up because of our work. And afterwards, we're still not resting. When work is over, we're still not resting. Because there are blogs and Netflix and Disney Channel, uh, Disney Plus. We got Amazon and ESPN and Reddit and social media. And this stuff is on 24-7. We refuse to lie down. We're constantly working. And so the psalmist here says, he makes me lie down. He lets me lie down. He says, it's okay. You can rest. Here it is. Here's the place. Rest. Work is an idol of the heart. And when we make work an idol, our jobs become our masters. They become our slave masters. And the master says, if you want approval, if you feel good about yourself, if you, uh, if you want to avoid self-loathing, if you want to avoid the pain and the torture, if you want to avoid getting beat up, you've got to produce. You've got to work. That means you're a slave. But David says, the world says, work. But my shepherd says, rest. My shepherd says, lie down. We need that. And so that's the second point. Our shepherd makes me lie down. What is rest? And when we're discussing rest, we have to bring up the concept of the Sabbath. In the New Testament, there's this passage where Jesus sets aside this man-made Sabbath law that was made by the Pharisees. And that's amazing because there's no place, there is no place in Scripture where the moral law is ever cast aside. Jesus never sets aside the moral law, the Ten Commandments. But the Pharisees, they created these Sabbath laws to uphold one of Moses' laws. And Jesus, he sets it aside. And it's because whenever you see Jesus doing this, it means that that law was merely provisional. 
It was meant to be temporary. It ends when something or someone arrives to render it obsolete. And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Those laws exist because they point to me. Because only I can give the deep rest of the soul that you guys are legalistically and lawfully trying to earn on your own. What is it? What is it? At the end of Genesis chapter 1, what happens? In Genesis chapter 1, you see this beautiful, poetically drawn passage of God creating the earth. And at the end of that passage, creation, in the beginning, God. At the end of that passage, each day, God is creating. He creates light. He creates the sky. He creates the sea. He creates land. He creates creatures to inhabit the sky and the sea and the land. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And each time, every day that goes by, he creates. He says, it is good. And it is good. And it is good. And it is good. God creates and it's good. He creates and it's good. And finally, you get to the end of chapter 1 in Genesis. God sees everything that he creates. And he says, it was very very good. We call that the benediction, the good word. It was very good. And on the seventh day, because he finished his work, he's able to look back and, and see and reflect and say, it is very good. He blessed that day, sets it apart. That's what it means to be holy. He sets it apart, makes it holy because he chooses to rest. He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he needed a break. He chose to rest. What is it? To rest in the soul is to be able to look at your work wherever you are and say, it's good. You can only say that if it doesn't own you. If you have command over your work, you can say, it's good. To be satisfied with what you're building. That's what it means to, be, to, to enjoy a Sabbath in the soul. The only way that you'll ever be able to stop work when you're supposed to stop work is if you're satisfied with what you did, is if you're satisfied with what you've built, no matter what it is that you do, no matter how you're compensated for it. But when man chose to disobey God in the garden, just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, that sin brought upon the curse. And so God utters this curse. He says, cursed is the ground. Through painful toil, you will work. And, and, it's gonna, and the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles. What does that mean? It means no matter how hard you try to bear fruit, the ground will be cursed and you're going to get thorns. And so you're going to be driven by anxiety. You're going to be driven by depression, driven by failure, the fear of failure, the need to accomplish the need to find a sense of worth and significance in what you're doing. Sin places our hearts always on our work. Work is going to preoccupy you. Work is going to disturb you. Work is going to anger you. Work is going to dissatisfy you. If you have a bad day at work, it carries over into the home and you cannot rest. Your mind is constantly churning over how to get better at work, how to progress in your work, how to move up in your work, how to beat somebody else in their work, how to complete your work, how to do well in your work so that you will be approved. Sin's deceit is what? You got to work. That's how you're going to find meaning and satisfaction and significance and approval. But the gospel teaches what? you got to rest. Rest because on the cross, Jesus earned for you, earned for you that approval that you need, that you're so desperately looking for. He said, it is finished. The work is done. Let that be your satisfaction. Then and only then 
to the degree that you believe that and trust that, can you really rest? Even good work, even things that you find passionate about in your life. I mean, we saw an entire week of protests. People are leaving work to find something they're passionate about, to do something that they're incredibly passionate about. But if you make that the end, if you want justice to roll and you're not finding justice, it's exhausting. The past week, day after day, protests and riots and looting and fighting. Scholars and commentators, they're all weighing in. There's literature, there's blogs, there's podcasts, there's posts, there's rebuttals. There's late night rebuttals. Then you got rebuttals against the rebuttals. It's exhausting. And the black community is tired. We as minorities are tired. Why? Because we're forced today to still fight to prove for ourselves the significance that the Bible says we have been given just because we are God's creation in the Imago Dei. We're fighting for that significance still as a community. The curse affects societies. That's what that tells us. It's not just an individual thing. When it's an individual thing, it rolls into the family when you're having a bad day. But when it gets, it can get on a societal level and it can destroy nations. Everyone needs soulful rest. And that leads us to our last point. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The green pastures is a resting place. Sheep were led to green pastures. It was their resting place. They knew that this is where they would park. This is where they can sleep. This is where they can rest. This is where they're safe. This is where they find comfort and coolness. David is singing, I'm exhausted. I'm restless. But the shepherd leads me to a resting place and he lets me lie down. He makes me rest. The author of Hebrews chapter four, he says this, there remains then a Sabbath day. A Sabbath rest for the people of God. We see that in the call to worship today. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who's able to look at his life and reflect and work in a way that God saw his life and reflected and and reflected on his work. A Christian is someone who's able to look at his work the way God looked at his work. And through Jesus, you can look at your work and you can say, I'm satisfied. Even if I failed, even if I didn't finish what I needed to, today I'm satisfied. It's very good. Leisure time and and vacations and um, recreation, they rest the outer person. You can take a nap. That rests the outer person. But it's not sufficient to rest the inner person. The Sabbath was intended to rest the inner person, to find satisfaction And God working through you to complete something. To be satisfied that God has chosen you to be able to do his will and his work through whatever it is through your hands to build something. There is what honors God. That's what honors God. By resting, you are honoring God because you're saying, I depend on you. I'm resting in your finished work. I'm depending on you because I'm created in your image and I'm loved and embraced by you. Your approval is enough. And that's what sets all my other loves in order. That's enough. There's my significance and worth. I don't need to work to earn a sense of worth. I don't need to work to earn a sense of approval from others. 
by performing a certain way, by being a certain way, dressing a certain way. Stop blaming your work. The issue is not the presence of work. The issue is an absence of rest in the soul. The issue is not uh, the absence of work. I need to get work out of my life. The issue is you need, a pres- you need the presence of God. You need the presence of God in whatever situation you're in. Jesus declares that he himself is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Only through me can you look at yourself. Only through me can you look at your work and say, I'm satisfied. Where can you find the green pastures that David is talking about? Jesus Christ says, come to me if you are tired and weary and fatigued. Have you gone to him? I mean, have you actually gone to him with your burdens? Have you gone to him with your work? Have you gone to him with your struggles? What you're trying to get out of your work? Because while you're trying to get that elusive thing out of your work, your work is getting your life out of you. You see that? How do we find this rest? Mark chapter 1. Jesus Christ is about to be baptized. And he's baptized. And as he's baptized, the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And God says, a voice comes out from the heavens. God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, look at my son. He's very good. It's the benediction. But on the cross, what do you see? You see the son of God. Jesus Christ is writhing and he's groaning. And he's sweating. And he's laboring just to stay alive. Why? It's because he's experiencing the infinite restlessness when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, you are, you are well, the, the reason why I do what I do. You are the source of my worth. And you have departed from me. And so now my center, my source of worth, my treasure... My approval, everything, my meaning and my significance is gone. My work is, people are standing around and they're saying, your work is in vain. Why are you even on the cross? What good can come from this? His work is cursed. And so Jesus Christ got the thorns. He got the crown of thorns. We work hard to earn power and wealth and security and positions and honor are to build up our reputations, to get intimate with other people in certain circles. But Jesus Christ, he worked hard to give them up for us. He had all those things, but on the cross, he relinquished those things. The author of Philippians, the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter two says he emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so on the cross, he emptied himself, became cosmically bankrupt, not just of all he had, but of his title and position. And he became the low because the the Bible says he became sin. He became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness connotes approval. We might become approved by God. In Genesis, God creates And what's creation? Creation, to create something is to take raw material and to put it together. There's cohesion. There's integration. That's what it means to build something. And God says, it's very good. But on the cross, Jesus Christ, he has he hung there. He's being torn apart. The Trinity is being ripped apart as the Father separates from him. There is a decohesion. 
You see that? There is an incoherence, a disintegration as Jesus is being ripped apart physically and cosmically. He's separated from God, and so he's dissatisfied. Jesus Christ suffered the ultimate curse, the thorns, the dissatisfaction, the decreation in his work. Why? So that we can bear fruit. We can be led to green pastures and say, ah, it's very good. Again, we can be satisfied in him. We can be recreated in him. The word recreation at the root is to be recreated in Christ. Rest. Look to the beauty of Jesus. Trust in the finished work of Jesus. Some of us were just working to be good And we think that's what's going to get us the approval that we need. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Trust in his finished work and trust in his righteousness. A Christian trusts that Jesus Christ has finished the work. In other words, we will constantly be working to receive very good, whether it's from our parents or our wives or our husbands or our children or our teachers or our boss or our professors, and you will never get it. You will never feel it. You're always going to be working to finish it until you yourself will die. That's the curse. That's what's promised as a curse in the Bible. A Christian says, it's finished. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. The debt has been paid. The work is done. I no longer need to prove myself at work in order to feel a sense of worth. I can be free. Work will not define me. Work will not own me. My job is no longer my slave master because I am free. I can rest. I can give myself measures of rest. Movements of rest in my life. David learned that. David's a king. David said, kings are constantly working. Kings have many things to be anxious about, but David learned. It's why Psalm 23 is a song. He's reflecting on his relationship with God, his Lord. It's a very intimate word. The Lord is my shepherd. They're two very intimate words that only people who are of God, that only Christians can actually refer to God, who have a special relationship with God. And so David is singing a hymn, a praise. That's why he's not crying about his work. It's why he's not crying about his restlessness. What about you? What about you? Are you tired? I know you're tired. I mean, let me speak to you plainly. I mean, we know, right? If I can speak to you as a pastor, you're working day and night, you're struggling through every urgency, and you're not grasping the importance of resting in Jesus. We're fighting for justice, and we're tired because we're not getting justice. Are you reflecting deeply in your relationship with Christ? You can go to God, you can go to our Father with our restless hearts, our tired bodies, our dissatisfied souls. Remember, a shepherd, he observes his sheep. He's constantly watching his sheep. He knows his sheep by name, he says. He's the good shepherd. So Jesus, he knows his sheep by name. There's nowhere in in history that says that shepherds knew all their sheep or even named their sheep necessarily. But Jesus, as a shepherd, observes the sheep, constantly watching, knows their schedule, knows their timing, knows what they need at any given moment, knows when they need to walk, knows when they need to rest, knows when they need to feed, knows when they need to drink, knows when they need to sleep. Because a shepherd has chosen to bind his joy in his life around his joys with the sheep. 
So he's constantly thinking about his sheep, constantly thinking about their welfare. So if a sheep is sick, the shepherd has taken on the sickness. If a sheep is hurt, the shepherd is grieving. That's the way Jesus, that's the way the Lord looks at us. Helpless, defensive, vulnerable sheep. And so he makes us rest. Sometimes you don't realize how much you need rest until the work is taken away from you. Sometimes you don't realize how important it is to rest in Jesus until you're forced to rest in Jesus. Sometimes Jesus isn't all we need to have until he's all we've got. You see, that's how it is. It's why resting is a discipline. It's not something that just happens. It's a discipline. What's a discipline? A discipline is if you don't learn the lessons you need to learn, those lessons will eventually, not learning those lessons, will corrode your body, corrode your soul, corrode your families, corrode your life until it's too late. How do you apply it? One, freedom from your work. Two, you got to work less. I mean, freedom from your work means you got to work less. Two, dependence on the finished work of Christ. That means that you got to trust Christ more. And as you trust Christ more, you got to bring these concerns to Jesus more. That's prayer, but it's also generosity. To, to be generous, to give, is to trust in Jesus more because you by nature have less and you're tempted to work more, but you're saying, Jesus is my provision. And it's a discipline. When you work, you're constantly practicing. You're reminding yourself that your work doesn't rule you. Your work will never satisfy you. Your work is not your master. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so you take breaks. Breaks that you need. You reflect more during your work. There's this old song, and I'm going to close with this. Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of going round and round? Wrap up all your shattered dreams in your life and at the feet of Jesus, lay them down. Lie down. Bring it to the Lord. Let's pray.